Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week Mark Elliott Stein, who is a member of World Beyond War's Board of Directors. I am the Executive Director of World Beyond War. Mark Elliott Stein has been a web developer since the 1990s and over the years has built websites for Bob Dylan, Pearl Jam, the international literary site Words Without Borders, the Allen Ginsberg Estate, Time Warner, A&E Network, History Channel, U.S. Department of Labor, Center for Disease Control. Meredith Digital Publishing, uh, and works on World Beyond Wars website. He is also a writer. For years, he maintained a popular literary blog called Literary Kicks using the pen name Levi Asher. He still runs the blog, but has ditched the pen name. Mark Elliott Stein has been creating a new podcast for World Beyond War, as well as helping World Beyond War with social media, with website issues, and with the anti-war movement within the information technology world. Uh, Mark Elliott Stein, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. Thanks for coming on. So how is the new podcast, the World Beyond War podcast, shaping up? Well, we are really excited about it. Greta Zaro, who is also part of um, the World Beyond War staff, is co-hosting with me at this point. And each time, we've only done three episodes so far. Each one is an experiment. We're trying to improve our audio quality. And David, your your Talk Nation radio podcast is so much so far ahead of us on that. Um, we we try to do at least three people, three or four people each episode. So um, talking to people across the world on telephones and recording it is a bit of bit more of a technical challenge than I had realized. But we're getting better at it, and mostly, I think the conversations we're having are exactly what we're trying to do, which is to really bring a sense of of community to what anti-war activists are doing and sort of change uh, what we're hoping to do is is change the tone of what people talk about when they talk about anti-war activism to to have more of a um, sharing of ideas uh, rather than a one-way transmission which, you know, often anti-war activists have so much to say, but uh, don't get a chance to sit and talk. So that's what, that's sort of the tone we're trying to set, and I think it's going really well. The advice that everyone and their brother will give you for free at the top of their lungs regarding anything in terms of internet or communications in general is make it shorter, make it shorter until it's down to three seconds. Uh, you're talking, mm-hmm. you're having three guests at a time for a rather lengthy discussion. Uh, it sort of goes against that trend and more towards the the trend of of endless bingeable Netflix movies. Uh, <laughs> are you finding that that appeals to people? Yes, I I love it that you observe that, and um, I, I would I would refer to Marshall McLuhan's statement that the medium is the message, because that uh, working on the internet and on in social media and online community for so long that 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 idea that each medium carries its own format and demands its own sort of approach is very true in my perception. And what I mean by that is that when people listen to podcasts, they want to spend an hour. And before starting this podcast, I did do a lot of research into into what sorts of podcasts are popular and what sorts aren't. Podcasts do seem to fulfill 
a personal, social, and even intimate role in in terms of how people enjoy them and listen to them. And it's very different from tweeting or posting on Facebook. People actually like to spend an hour. In fact, most of the most popular podcasts are an hour. And some people, when Greta Zaro, who I mentioned, is is working with me on it, I think I suggested um, we should go no longer than a half hour. I pointed out that the most popular podcasts are an hour, similar to a TV show. So it is a different medium. It's a different format, and it defines its own sort of rules. I'm curious, David, if you if you perceive anything along those lines. Well, I think things can be done well short and done done well long, and I think there's a space for both. Uh, when I the only time I listen to anything is if I'm driving or running and don't want to be just driving or running, but want to be <laughs> informing myself of something uh, in those wasted minutes, and I don't want it to to run out and have to search for another one. So, uh, so you know, I'll get a a book or a podcast and play it at triple speed, but I but I want it to last, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I imagine other people who go running or go on long drives in their car want something that they can put on that's going to to last till they get there. Yeah, I think so. And I I, I would say I, I also listen a lot when either driving or walking. I'm a big walker rather than runner. And yeah, I I, I guess I would just say that we're going to find out if this works because it's still fairly new. But I'm I'm just trying to listen to to the feedback that we get and nobody has said yet that it's too long and yes, what topics absolutely. have you done so far and what topics are coming up well the first one which was really great was you leah bolger and david hartzow about the founding of world beyond war which was five years ago and we used the fifth anniversary of world beyond war as the um, kickoff topic and that was really great um the most recent one was rather different because it was we were talking to Margaret Flowers and Pat Elder, who were both inside the Venezuelan embassy in Washington, D.C., and that was a, a, a rather hectic recording session because as we were doing this, they were dealing with provocations from outside in real time. It actually made me feel, for the first time in my life, like a journalist. I was actually recording events as they were happening, which right. is not really part of the podcasting formula, um, nor a part of my history. But um, it, it was exciting to be trying to portray something that was happening at the moment it was happening. Now, no, normally with a podcast, I'll take a day or two to record it. But with that one, I mean, to edit it and put it out with that one, the minute we stopped recording, I went right to edit and tried to get it out as soon as possible because it had a topical sense to it. I don't think we'll be doing that too often, though. I think we'll be we'll be pulling back from real time events and trying to trying to take a step back from from a journalistic mode. We're speaking with Mark Elliott Stein about his podcast uh, for World Beyond War, and I should say that if you go to worldbeyondwar.org and look down the right-hand side, you'll find a link uh, to the World Beyond War podcast as well as to this show, Talk Nation Radio. Mark, I wanted to talk about some other topics related to technology. You've become our our go-to person on technology issues and, and problems at World Beyond War. 
war. What are what are we up against in terms of uh, of censorship uh, and communication impediments with these mega uh, media companies uh, mm-hmm. ruling the internet? Are are people are people receiving our uh, our communications? Great question, very pertinent question. And first, I want to say, by the way, that it is really an honor, and it means so much to me to be able to work on World Beyond War. What what you and the others have built here is is really something special. I I joined about a year and a half ago by coming to the conference in Washington D.C. and was invited to become more involved and and use my tech skills to help. And it's it's meant a lot to me. So. I'm happy to be here, and, and thank you for what you've built. In terms of what I think what you're referring to is algorithmic censorship, which um, I see examples of every single day. For instance, last night, I, um, at the, so we are closely following the protection of the Venezuelan embassy in Washington, D.C. right now. This is an event that is sort of taking place as we speak. And last night, I put out a message on Facebook saying that um, the Secret Service had just shut off the electricity inside the building, which to me is a pretty important fact that I'd like to get out there to World Beyond War's followers. I am able on Facebook to see how many people view it, and I saw that it th- this message, while it was not censored, I would say it was downgraded. It was seen by very few people. So every single message on Facebook by every single person is subject to algorithmic treatment. It's it's not the case when you post to Facebook that your message goes out there to everybody who's following you. So um, in the case of political messages, there are artificial intelligence operations that take place in real time that immediately analyze whether or not a message has political content. And if it's considered to have controversial political content, Facebook will downgrade it. They will not disappear it. They will just downgrade it. So if you see how much, if you see the type of reaction you get, you will see that controversial political messages get less. The same is is true on Twitter. So for instance, I'm not going to name names here, but a very courageous activist I know who um, is with a major organization who has posted many controversial things about the Middle East and about Gaza. Her name cannot be searched on Twitter. She's available on Twitter, but if you try to find her by name, you will not be able to. You, you can even type in her Twitter handle and it will not come up. To me, that's rather disturbing. Now, companies like Facebook and Twitter do not deny that they do this. In fact, Facebook is, has said that they do this as a response to the abuses of their platform in the 2016 election. So from from Facebook PR's point of view, this is a positive step. They're trying to tone down the temperature, turn down the temperature of the political debates on Facebook to, to have more of a social and friendly feel. Um, from our point of view, considering that Facebook is our means of communicating with many people, this is really disturbing. 
And it's and it's not, in my experience, it's not just that they downgrade posts, but that they won't take your money if you try to pay them to promote those posts. If you try to buy ads on Facebook, they will find a million and one ways not to let the ad run uh, if it's quote-unquote political. That is, if it's trying to do any sort of good for the world rather than just market your your face or your kitten or your product. Uh, and, uh, and they block pages entirely. Entirely, not just downgrade them, and they and they've hired uh, Koch brother funded uh, climate deniers as so called fact checkers to exercise a sort of censorship over what is you know appropriate good opinion and acceptable fact. I I would prefer that they get out of that business entirely. That they that they leave sorting through facts to to people to handle in a democratic fashion, and uh, and that they concentrate on banning violence and threats of violence from from ordinary people or from uh, you know national security advisors. Yep. Well, that um, that uh, I've been following your experiences with Facebook trying to purchase ads and it is it is absolutely surreal that they re- they will not state what their rules are in any clear way but when you violate their rules yes you are rejected and i i believe you've talked to their customer service reps try to try to get a understanding of what you can do to be accepted to have our our good and informative and important advertisement be accepted and you have not been able to get anywhere with that. Yeah, well, I don't think um, that's, uh, I don't think that counts as a definition of a rule. If you, if I spend an hour on the phone with them and get the thing exactly acceptable and they say it's going to run and then it doesn't, uh, and then they invent some new reason why it couldn't. And I go through the whole process again and then they invent some new reason rather than giving me, as you say, a set of rules up front. Well, that, those aren't rules at all then. You are right. But now, so take that as a given, I would like to ask the question, what do we do about it? And I would like to urge our fellow activists not to give up on social media, because the the answer that I don't think is satisfactory is delete your Facebook account, delete your Twitter account. The reason is we are in the business of, of communicating with people who, who may be using Facebook and Twitter as their main means of of getting messages from groups like ours. We can't walk away. We have to. What I've been trying to do is is master it. And the, the benefit I have, the one thing I have that very few people have is literally 25 years experience in online community. I've been doing nothing but this since the 90s. I love online culture. And so I know a whole lot about it, a lot that I don't like. <laughs> but... Um, you know, this doesn't give me wisdom, but it does give me experience. And um, so what I'm trying to do is figure out how to master these rules and get around these rules. So I'll give an example. On my own personal Facebook account, and this is not when I'm speaking for World Beyond War, I'm often quite vocal about my my sense of alarm about what the Trump administration is doing, what, what I consider the illegitimate Trump administration so I post messages to Facebook about this often. I have learned that I must leave the five-letter name Trump out of my post. I can refer to him as dear leader or, you know, the other plays on, on various 
terms that refer to Trump, but if I put those that five-letter name into my post, it will be downgraded. So I've become rather clever at, at skirting Facebook. And to me, that's, that's at least how I plan to proceed. I will not be deleting my Facebook account because I'm a writer. I'm a communicator. If I, if I delete my Facebook account, I'm withdrawn. I'm, I'm leaving the forum. Is there, is there any resource that anyone creates, and it would be endlessly evolving, of guides as to how to do that, uh, what words to avoid, what, what topics you can get in, how uh, to, to navigate uh, Facebook's uh, censorship? It's a great idea, and if I had time, I would work on that. Actually, I mean, maybe that would be a good World Beyond War article. Um, I, I wonder... I, I wonder if that, that such a thing exists. But I would say that common sense goes a long way here. And when I see some of my friends becoming frustrated about their political messages, and then I read their political messages, I'm, I'm thinking, hey, you, you know, you could be trying a little harder here <laughs> to, to, to not tip the, tip the triggers. Because it, it's pretty clear, you know, like, like I said, if, if I insult Trump by name, it will be downgraded. If I refer to him indirectly, it will be not doesn't take a genius to figure that out. So common sense does go a long, long way. And also keeping tempers in check goes a long, long way. Facebook algorithms can detect an angry post from a friendly post. Even We're not even talking about the nouns and verbs. We're talking about the tone of the post. They can detect the temperature of the post. Keep the temperature cool. Um, if I can refer to Marshall McLuhan again, um, he said that there are cool mediums and there are hot mediums. Social media is a cool medium. It should be a cool medium. And what that means is we succeed in it by, by not starting fires and, you know, basically keeping a, keeping a steady rhythm of posts and messages that, that you know, sort, sort of form a, a continuum of, of communication. That's how I see it. But as you said, there is no, I'd love to see a guide that's published. Um, but I think that's the sort of thing it would say. The interesting thing about uh, people who ha who work in this field is how well-intended so many of them are, despite the, the, the monopolies and the privacy invasions and the the, the, the marketing of, of everything as a commodity. It, 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 there, there actually has arisen within some of these high-tech companies uh, resistance to certain mm -hmm. specific, at least, military contracts uh, that we aren't seeing uh, in, in any other companies. What's what's going on there? Yeah, well, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, I think you're you're probably referring directly to the Google Tech Workers Coalition, which did a very admirable thing. I'm I'm not sure about the timing. I would say this is probably probably about one year ago that a, a small group of I think a hundred or so. Google software developers and other Google employees issued a statement saying not only that they that they object to working on artificial intelligence for for weapon systems, but that they object to any type of military work, any type of military applications for what Google does. And this was the beginning of the Google Tech Workers Coalition. Since then, there's been an Amazon Tech Workers Coalition and even a Microsoft Tech Workers Coalition, and this has really spread. So I've been following this. I, I follow various 
representatives of, of these groups, and I love what they're doing, 100% behind it. Um, we've also, with a few people here in um, in the New York area, we we've, have actually um, staged pamphlets pamphleteering drives outside of Amazon's office and Google's office yep. here in New York City. And, um, you know, th- this is a growing thing. This is, this is a, um, this is a, a, something that has to get bigger. But the immediate impetus to this was that artificial intelligence really can, can do horrifying things in a military context, such as if you think about um, think about the potential of facial recognition and drones. Just just think of those two things together, and you will start having major nightmares because um, that's a type of technology that is actually becoming very possible. And basically, I'm I I so heartily applaud the employees at Google for calling this out and saying, "Wait a minute, this is too far." This is a Black Mirror episode coming to life. We will not work on this. But as as you pointed out at the time, David, that it's important not only for for tech employees to say that they will not work on artificial intelligence weapon systems, they really should not work on any weapon systems. And that thankfully that has been a part of the of the rise in consciousness. So this is a great thing. Um we, if we I can I also I also would like to just take a step back and say something that many people do not know, which is that the technology community, the software development community in the the entire world, and it's very much an international community, we don't recognize national borders very much among software developers, is a very politically conscious community. Open source is all about cooperation, sharing, trust. Um, Again, I'm going to use the word community. Without Without the cooperative, communal nature of the open source community, the internet would have never happened. We would still be living in a in a non connected online world. Yeah. So there, there's always been this great consciousness, in, including an anti war consciousness within the tech community. And I love it that I'm in a position to sort of try to bridge the activist community, the anti war community, and the tech community. Well, I did not know about the anti-war consciousness until uh, relatively recently, uh, and and World Beyond War and Roots Action and others did big public petitions thanking them and encouraging them. Um, but as you say, I, I I struggle with how it could be unacceptable uh, to to send automated drones to recognize faces and blow people's heads up, uh, but acceptable to have kids sitting in in trailers in Nevada with joysticks uh, sending missiles from drones to blow people's heads up. Uh, it, it seems to me there that that the evil is not the the use of the latest technology to commit senseless murder. It's the commission of senseless murder, uh, and that yep. somehow we ought to get together with with some of the these more conscious and active and and courageous people uh, employed at at Google and Microsoft and so on, uh, and and see if we can really bring them into uh, the anti-war movement, uh, and if we can find out from them how we could help them in, encourage their their colleagues to to go further. Yep. Well, I 100% agree. 
There are people I know who are working on this. So I mentioned that we had done some leafleting at the Google office in Chelsea, New York City. Um, a guy named Nick Motern, who's based in Connecticut, has has made what you've just said sort of his 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 life's work lately. And he he runs a site called No Drones, where he's been trying to to sort of that's K N O W No Drones, by the way. Uh, yes, correct. Thank you. Um, I think he's been trying to explore this space. Honestly, I'll be I'll be really honest. We've we've had some frustration reaching inside the Google building. So when we leafleted outside, I found it very frustrating because we were not met with any sort of welcoming um, reaction from the people going to work. And I also know if you're getting people going to work in the morning, they're already 20 minutes late and they don't want to stop and, and talk, you know, because software developers are always late. But um, it, it, we did not, I, w- I would say that we did not get a sense that, Software developers working for Google, Amazon, Amazon, and Microsoft are really eager to talk to a bunch of leafleters outside, but we hope and believe that they are having these conversations inside. Now, I, you know, I've been approached to work for Google, which I don't want to do, but if I were an employee inside Google, I would very much be trying to be the center of activity. I've just got to hope that, that these these conversations are happening in there but penetrating that world is not easy these are these are these are people who hang out with their coworkers so it's been rather it's been rather frustrating which is why from my point of view i i haven't felt that leafleting outside these built these buildings is the best use of our time uh, you are probably right uh mark elliot stein we've just got a few minutes left uh it is is technology uh, going to be part of how we uh, end war and end environmental destruction and find a better world, or is uh, is degrading our uh, our view of technology and its wonders uh, more essential? <laughs> that is the eternal question, David. Um... You know, I, I, I always say I, I don't offer easy answers, and I've got no easy answer here. This is, this is the conundrum we're in. I mean, we can think back to the, the, um, the creation of the first atomic weapon and the debates that we know that they had, and those debates are relevant right now. And, and unfortunately, those atomic weapons are still with us, too. So um, I, I have no answers. I swear I have no answers. All I can do is every day try to do my best. Perhaps if we uh, use technology to the greatest extent we can for communications, uh, but try to uh, to avoid having it take over the rest of our lives uh, and, and, and avoid looking to it for magical solutions to things like mm-hmm. climate destruction where the, the the key solution actually seems to be ceasing to engage in climate destruction uh we we may we may get the best of both worlds what do you think yes definitely um i don't i i do try to discourage luddite sort of thinking on this which is you know basically get get stay off of connected communities and and avoid technology while that is you know living off the grid is an amazing choice and i respect people who make that choice it is important to point out how 
deeply important technology is to various people around the world, disabled people who, for whom technology is, is a life-changing, you know, but basically it gives new life-changing capabilities, such as even automatic readers for the blind, things like this that did not exist 30 years ago and, and are now part of, of the online culture. And so we can't withdraw. I believe we can't withdraw. That doesn't mean that some people can't withdraw. Right. My own my own brother and sister, for instance, are two of the most technologically um, apathetic people I know. They they I, constantly they say, "Hey, Mark, how you doing?" I'm like, "Well, have you seen my Facebook? If you have, you know how I was doing." And they hate that answer. Yeah, so they I, probably think I'm obnoxious. But, I, I wish um, we could make this an hour show. We are out of minutes. I do think your co-host Greta Zaro sets a good high tech luddite example, living in a tiny mm-hmm. house on an organic farm, working by internet. Uh, Mark Elliott Stein is a member of the board of directors of World Beyond War. You can find the podcast World Beyond War at World beyondwar.org. Mark, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you too, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.